The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I'm very, uh, well, I don't know if happy is the right word, but I'm very happy to be bringing this to you. I mean, I'm happy to be able to expose something that is going on in the, um, court system, prison system, someone who is unjustly being kept behind bars, serving a life sentence without parole, without the possibility of parole, in a California state prison, while the real killer goes free. I'm talking about Scott Dulesky. He is a teen serving life for murder. The question is, Jack the Ripper or Framed? And by the end of the show, you will have your own opinion, which... Uh, I'm already giving you a clue. The answer is framed. Um, what's what's so interesting to me is to visit this case, which took place in 2005, the murder of Pamela Vitale, when um, uh, Scott was only 16 years old. And I, as all of you, my listeners know. Um, uh, my, one of my hats is as a psychiatric expert witness. So when I um, saw this uh, this case made headlines, you'll all remember it when we start going into it in more detail, um, but it's a murder that made headlines around the world. And when I saw these, uh, saw it in the news, listened to it and so on, it was clear to me from the beginning that there was something wrong, that they had the wrong guy. And um, the wrong guy being Scott Dulesky, and the right guy, or the uh, the person who, in my opinion, uh, sh- they should have been putting on trial, um, is the husband of the woman who was killed, the husband of Pamela Vitale, who is an attorney, Daniel Horowitz. And so at the time, I felt so strongly about this that I wrote a letter to the public defender who was uh, representing so to speak, not particularly well, as it turns out, but in any case, who was representing Scott. And um, I wrote a long letter, and um, mainly I was telling her that um, that if he, if he was guilty at all, he did not act alone. And I then went on to uh, explain why it wasn't he who was guilty, but why I thought that it was the husband, uh, Daniel Horowitz, the husband of the murder victim. And um, I'll just give you a sample right now, and then I'll go to my guests and tell you some of the more, some other reasons, um, things that I wrote in the letter as we go through the show. So I wrote, here are the reasons why I think that Daniel Horowitz, that's the husband, had something to do with it. (laughs) 
Daniel is obsessed with getting media attention. Even after his wife was murdered, all he could do was try to get his face on every TV show possible, even to the point of leading Nancy Grace on a tour of the murder scene. This is not the normal behavior a grieving husband would show. Indeed, it seems like someone who is trying to hide their guilt by their bravado. So I'll uh, give you some more more parts of the letter that I wrote to Scott's attorney as we go along, but you get the gist. And now I'd like to introduce my guest. Um, fortunately, the reason why we're talking about it today is because two attorneys, Catherine Hallinan and Sarah Zalkin, who are uh, here with us today, have just filed a new petition in the State Court of Appeals to try to right this wrong. And also with us is Scott's heart-sick mom, Esther Fielding, and she's going to be sharing with us her frustrations and her hopes. So welcome to the show, all of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. I mean, I, I started the show by saying that I'm happy to, to be doing this. I'm happy to be drawing, bringing the public's attention once again to this case because it's only through that that um, something there's going to be enough pressure put on to have something done about it. So, Catherine or Sarah, why don't you start off by um, giving us a little background of the case? You know, I'm sure people have, have forgotten. You know, to me, this case was the OxyClean case um, because the, the media dwells so much on how Scott allegedly uh, cleaned his clothes with OxyClean. I think you need to get OxyClean to, uh, who must have gotten tons of customers from that, people who now knew that OxyClean took out blood, you should get them to finance um, Scott's new defense. So put that put that in your in your. I'm just laying that seed um, for you to think about. So would right. you could you bring us back to what the, tell us about the crime and and take us along the journey of of uh, from the murder to Scott being um, being found guilty. Certainly, um, on Saturday, October fifteenth. 2005, just before 6 p.m., a call was made, or it turns out more than one call, to the emergency 911 and also to the direct line of a local police station in Lafayette, California. And ultimately, the caller, Mr. Horowitz, was reporting that he, his wife had been murdered in their home. Officers respond several minutes later. Um, Mr. Horowitz and a neighbor who Mr. Horowitz immediately and then repeatedly kept bringing up to the police as the person that he believed had committed this crime were taken to a police station and separately interviewed over the course of several hours. The, what was going on at the same time on a parallel track was a neighbor had realized that there were unauthorized purchases on one of her accounts and 
had done some checking around to find out who the orders had been placed with and ultimately became very upset and reported this um, to the police department. Um, on the early morning hours of October 20th, 2005, um, in a process that began um, really late Wednesday evening, the 19th, Scott Zaleski was taken into custody at a friend's home, and um, from there on out, he had a preliminary hearing. It was actually around on Valentine's Day 2006, so a few short months later, um, which is somewhat uncommon in, in our experience to have a preliminary hearing that quickly in a case of this magnitude. Um, he was held to answer, meaning that the, there was enough probable cause the judge found to go forward to trial. Trial also happened very quickly. Trial was um, primarily in, in August of 2006. And at the time of the murder and the arrest, Scott was 16 years old. He was, um, it was determined that he would be tried as an adult immediately and so he was convicted at age 17. Most of the defense at trial consisted of character witnesses. Um, there were no expert witnesses presented by the, by the defense um, to rebut um, the prosecution's evidence, which um, I will I'll actually defer to my colleague, Kate, to um, go over some of that just as an overview. But um, after a trial that lasted a couple of weeks, um, Scott was convicted and sentenced thereafter, Doctor, as you said, to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, and if I can just jump in on... Um a little bit more about the crime itself. Yes, yes. Um, this was an extremely violent murder. Miss um, Vital was horribly beaten to death um, in her home, and Miss um, Vital and Mr. Horowitz were the neighbors of Scott Dulesky, um sort of a, a rural area of um, the Bay Area, but they were neighbors. And Scott had, was not, did not know Miss um, Vital. There was, you know, no relationship between them. And um, the home, nothing was taken. Um, so there was this violent beating, and there was no signs of a robbery. There was no signs of a burglary, and there was no signs that anyone had forced entry into the home. Um, and. And, and then, as Sarah said, the, the case ensued. Yes, okay. Um, you know, it's interesting just to, to, um, to go back to some of the things that you both said. Um, first of all, why... Now, of course, you're, you're um, both filing a petition and um, trying to get a, a, a hearing, an appeal, um, what what are you actually trying to do? Well, we are 
the petition ultimately yes we we seek to have the conviction overturned and commonly in that case the court would remand it to the you know to the to the trial court to um find out if the the prosecutor was going to give grant in the, you know was going to retry the individual in that situation but the first step before then would be um, for the Court of Appeal to grant us an evidentiary hearing where both sides would be able to present witnesses and um, give the court more evidence than has been submitted on paper for why this is a wrongful conviction, why Scott Gillespie did not get a fair trial, and why had he been effectively represented, there was a wealth of material that would have shown that he was not the perpetrator and rather pointed to another individual. Okay. Um, and I think I heard the music um, that we do need to take a break. But, um, you know, obviously... Obviously, uh, this is a big um, undertaking, and uh, and um, it's very fortunate that you are undertaking it. We're talking today about teens serving life for murder, Jack the Ripper, or Framed. My guests are attorneys Catherine Hellenin and Sarah Zalkin, and Scott Dolesky's heartsick mom, Esther Fielding. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking about the um, wrongful conviction of Scott Dolesky for the murder of uh, Pamela Vital. And um, while her husband, attorney Daniel Horowitz, took suspicious advantage of her death to advance his career as a TV legal commentator. Um, And I had mentioned in the first segment about how I felt so strongly about that, that the uh, justice system should be paying more attention to Daniel Horowitz, that I wrote a letter to the attorney, the public defender representing Scott at the time. And I wrote um, another example of, of what I pointed out to her was Pamela, the murder victim, was expecting to move into their dream home as Daniel, her husband, had been promising her for years. But if they moved into the mansion instead of renting it to someone, Daniel would need to spend more of his time working than being able to do free TV and other media interviews. These can be quite time-consuming, as I know, since I do such interviews myself. If Daniel didn't want to move in, he may have been arguing with Pamela about this. She may have made him feel emasculated because he wasn't fulfilling his dream house promise to her. Or perhaps they never spoke about it and he was just thinking about how this would all come to a head. This could have made him want to kill her to avoid or get rid of the problem. You know, you were talking, when you were talking about, and I guess let me introduce them again, Catherine Helen and Sarah Zalkin and Esther Fielding. When, um, Kate or Sarah were, I guess, Kate, you were talking about the um, the murder scene. You know, one of the things that boggles my mind is how um, at the murder scene they found that on Pamela's back um, an H had been carved into her back, and they tried to connect it to um, something related to Scott where um, a bumper sticker, right? Yes. That um, that had, uh, let's see, where is it? I'm sure you know. The yes, H and said... the word hate from a bumper sticker reading, I'm for the separation of church and hate, which they found in Scott's bedroom. Well, like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, duh. How about an H for Horowitz, a very angry husband carving his name into her back? Yes. Um I mean, that is, you know, seemingly an obvious connection, whereas the connection to Scott um, was very tenuous. Um, it was this, this bumper sticker, and then um, Scott often um, signed his, his artwork um, with a symbol that had nothing to do with the, the shape on Miss Vital's back. Um, however, the prosecution argued that the very fact that um, Scott used a symbol in his artwork um, therefore showed that he was, you know, into symbols and that he would have carved a symbol in in his victim's back was basically the connection. And they further argued, um, you know, that his artwork often dealt with dark themes and, and they used his artwork to paint him as, you know, a Satan worshiper, someone who was obsessed with hate. Um, it was very well documented in the media that he had had 
uh, you know, goth um, appearance, um, and he often wore black. Um, however, you know, when he listened to Marilyn Manson and, and you know, things like this, um, however, the actual facts about Scott showed that he was, you know, very far from a Satan worshiper, had, you know, in fact, was a vegan and, um, you know, was very involved in a lot of um, groups on campus that worked against hate and against prejudice um, and had no history of violence whatsoever. Um, but his artwork and, and his symbols and, and some of the topics he was interested in were really used by the media to paint um, a sort of stereotyped image of him as this very troubled youth. Why don't we, Esther? Why don't excuse me? Why don't you join in now? It's okay. Seems a perfect time for you to talk. I mean, this must just be a nightmare for you, um, an unending nightmare. Um, how? What? I know that that you and Scott's father separated when he was three, um, and then you moved from San Francisco. Um, did did Scott was he what kind of childhood did he have was he in touch with his father were there things that he was angry about his father really didn't participate in his life after that very much um he had some um, irregular visits and that was about it um, but but uh, I Scott I always had a home um I own my own home so Scott had a, a wonderful home um and I always had uh, good friends and a lot of uh, male, uh, good male friends around. So he always had a, um, good role models around. And he's always been a very gentle, sweet boy. I, um, and he always, he's had um, really good skills in how to deal with people. And, uh, so, okay, you know, then the obvious question is, and you must have asked yourself this a million times, how did a nice boy like this end up end up in prison for life? What happened? Well, I think that um, a lot of the problem is is the press. The press is just in love with sensationalism, and it was it became a, a quite a sensational story. And they were not interested in looking at the facts. In fact, um, when he was arrested, a professor of law, uh, Franklin Zimring at California Berkeley said that um, if he's convicted, it would be a statistical aberration within a statistical anomaly. Um, it's a stranger, you know, Juho, mm-hmm. um, accused of killing um, a woman that he, you know, obviously didn't know, and there was no robbery involved. Um, the odds of a husband killing a wife it's about 68% of women murdered are murdered by a significant other or a partner. So I think part of it was the unwillingness of the um, investigators. And, and how, I don't know. Because the truth was there. The investigators it, could see the truth. It was right in front of them. Um, even well, the criminal... you were arrested, too. What, why were you arrested? Um, I was arrested, yes. I was arrested by the prosecutor, and he, I didn't realize it at the time, but what he wanted was to separate Scott from any possible support system. There was a 16-year-old boy completely isolated from his parents. Neither, neither of us were allowed to speak about the, the trial. 
or the, the, the charges, even when he was in juvenile. And I did. And um, so I was not allowed to, to visit with him. So hmm. the only person he was allowed to speak to about what was going on with his life was his, the state-appointed defense attorney. She became not only his defense attorney, but his guardian. Hmm. She had complete power over him. If I can just um, quickly add something in terms of how they were able to focus on Scott and how this bizarre thing happened, um, you know, it's really just this unbelievably bad coincidence, which is that Scott was involved in credit card fraud. He was going through the mail of his neighbors and um, using his um, computer proficiency to um, commit credit card fraud and use his, his neighbor's credit cards to buy um, grow equipment, marijuana grow equipment. Um, and this was just an absolute freak coincidence where he just happened to be committing these crimes at the same time that this murder happened. Um, and Sarah went a little bit into the fact that the neighbor who the credit card fraud was being committed against contacted the police after the murder happened and and sort of made a big stink about the fact that um, this credit card fraud was going on at the same time. And that was actually what alerted um, law enforcement to Scott. Um, And that was sort of what started the snowballing effect um, that eventually led to his conviction. Mm-hmm. Now, what about this um, this public defender? I mean, she never answered my letter. She never contacted me at all, you know, as far as being an expert witness or asking me more about some of the things that I wrote about, why did I think that, and so on. Never heard from her. Um, why did she have, and you mentioned, uh, Sarah, I think you mentioned that there were no expert witnesses. This, the public defender didn't call any expert witnesses. Why is that? Well, um, what what Kate and I believe, what what I can tell you um, as a known fact is that the this the, his public defender had a couple years experience. She had had a, a trial or two, not a murder trial, and yet she was assigned the case, which was being tried for the people by a very experienced homicide trial attorney um, who had not only more years of experience than her, but had um, participated in a number of homicide trials. And the only what, what we have kind of try, come up with in our minds is that we say um, she, she kind of she drank the Kool-Aid we think that the media hype and pressure was so overwhelming that she became focused on what we call the red herrings in the case and trying to, um, you know, not effectively challenge the prosecution's version of events. I also think that public defenders are known to be, all lawyers, you know, would would consider themselves busy. Public defenders have an amazingly tough caseload. And I think that there was so much material that was 
turned over by the prosecution that it was all there. She had looked at it, but that she may not have had the time or the resources to spot all of these issues that, um, that, you know, we found as soon as we started looking, it was, you know, gold mine of exculpatory evidence. So I think that her focus wasn't really on the issues because she didn't have all of, she didn't, have enough familiarity with the evidence that existed to figure out what to pursue. I don't know, Sarah. I I have to disagree with you. This is Esther. Um, Okay. She had a year. You you two women had two months, and you came up with all of this exculpatory evidence in two months. She had a year. And she had the ability to hire experts, and she chose not to. Well, you know, we we have to take a break, but it does kind of bring beg the question: um, Was there any influence of uh, the attorney Daniel Horowitz on um, on the prosecutor, or on the court system, or on the the this new uh, public defender to not not pursue him? Um, exactly. Okay, we do need he to take announced a break. That... We will be okay. back um, after the break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Uh, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about a teen, Scott Dolesky, serving life for murder. Is he Jack the Ripper or framed? And as you can hear, we, we're all thinking that he is, was framed, um, or at the very least that, um, 
that the evidence wasn't looked into carefully enough and other suspects, notably uh, the murder victim's husband, um, was, not looked at, uh, was not looked at sufficiently, he being an attorney um, who took suspicious advantage of her death to advance his career as a TV legal commentator. Um, my guests are attorneys Catherine Hellenan and Sarah Zalkin, who have taken up this cause and recently filed a petition trying to uh, overturn the conviction and possibly um, get the case retried with these with new evidence being brought in, of course. And um, to continue some of the things that I had written in my letter to the uh, public defender who didn't respond to any of this, um, I wrote, what lawyer, what lawyer, meaning, meaning Daniel Horowitz, a husband, what lawyer lives in a mobile home for 15 years unless he has another agenda? There were conflicting accounts as to where he got the money to build the mansion. After Pamela's death, he told the media she, that she always wanted him to be a star. This is extremely inappropriate for a grieving husband. He's concentrating on trying to be a star, and he was all over the media, um, you know, taking advantage of this death of his wife to, um, I, I mentioned about giving Nancy Grace a tour and being on every single show he could get his face on. And um, what's interesting is, as I wrote, when he met Pamela, he tried to sell a script, and she was a producer. She wasn't able to produce it in 10 years, so maybe her time was up. And um, I, although I didn't write this next part in my letter, um, I, I guess I... I recently found out when I was preparing for today's show that um, I don't remember if I knew it at the time, but anyway, um, he apparently met the woman who he later married after Pamela died. Um, he met her before Pamela was murdered. Any of you like to comment on that? Well, he met her at she uh, she met he met her at the uh, Susan Polk trial, and right. that was a a big trial that he had um, been able to get on by um, pretty much begging Susan Polk to be, to get in on that, and that made his name. But I think you find it really interesting also in that the, the first call he made after the 911 calls, when he was in the back of the patrol car right after the murder, was to Nancy Grace. Yes, I thought I remembered something like that. He was calling the media right away, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and during his interrogation with the police, he was allowed to have his cell phone, and he was taking and receiving calls. Hmm. Well, you know, you have to get to these uh, media outlets quickly, or else they'll have somebody else on. <laughs> exactly, and it seemed like the interrogators were allowing this, and I don't know if they were starstruck or what, but they allowed him his cell phone, they allowed him to make and receive phone calls during the interrogation. Well, yes. So, um, so uh, Esther, how is Scott doing? So now he's been in prison for let's see, 12, like over six years, right? Well, he's been in in the uh, state institution for about six years and in juvenile for a year. Mm-hmm. So how is he doing? Total. Um, he's actually um, doing quite well. He is. Um, he was able to participate in the Edge program. Um, that's a program where they try to um, convince, they take boys who are at risk, who have been committing crimes and are at risk for uh, being in jail for a long time. They take them 
um, into the prison, and they show him what prison life is is like. They talk to them, and um, he was chosen by actually his fellow inmates to be uh, part of that program. Hmm. Um, they felt that he uh, he could reach kids uh, with that yes. message. So he was involved in that program until it ended. He's working on his um, AA degree. He wants to uh, major in philosophy and religion. Hmm. Uh, and he's also working on his ministry uh, through a correspondence course with a with a church. So he is uh, staying very active and participating. In fact, he knows more about politics than I. When we get together to talk, he's he knows much more about what's going so on in the he, world. Than um, I is he able to keep his spirits up because he is confident that, um, you know, we're trying to do something to change his fate? I think that's part of it, and part of it is he, he knows he's innocent, and he, uh, but he knows that uh, the credit card was getting involved in that was about the first really bad thing he ever did in his life, and I think he sees that as, as a sort of penance for for letting his um, friends talk him into helping them out with that credit card scam. Uh, he knows that that was wrong and, and regrets that participation. Okay. Now, I have a question um, for Kate or Sarah. Um, what has been the response by Daniel Horowitz? Does he know that you've been working on this, and does, has he read your petition, or know about your petition what's been happening with that um well we i i can't speak to whether he's read anything he does know about it he was um when we we initially filed a petition in the um superior court of contra costa county which is the trial court level and then we've um we were denied at that level and we've refiled at the court of appeal level um, when we initially filed at the Superior Court level, we held a press conference to um, announce um, that that you know that we are filing this petition, and he was um, subsequently interviewed by the press. Um, so we did see interviews by him responding to the fact that this petition had been filed, but we don't know anything beyond that. Well, what did he say? Was he you know did he tell the press he was angry about that? That of course Scott is the murderer. No, he he um, he said that we, myself and Sarah, were um, looking for media attention. That huh. this is preposterous, and that there's no foundation in anything that we say, and and it is all um, just our own uh, media hungry selves um, looking for attention. In psychiatry, there's a name for that. It's called projection. <laughs> He's projecting what he did and what he does onto the two of you. But it does sound like maybe you have him a little nervous. Um, I think so. I mean, I think that he knows, and he said this, and I, it's very true that this is a very um, hard process, that the chances of us getting any relief for Scott are slim to none. Um, and... Even if we are able to get Scott out, um, you know, which we believe in our hearts that we will, but is nonetheless very, very slim, um, the chances of him facing any kind of prosecution are even slimmer. 
Mm. Um, so although I think, you know, anyone to be, have, have people openly, you know, saying that they may have been involved in a murder would make anyone nervous, um, he uh, seems pretty calm about the whole thing. Hmm. Have you done any um, private investigation of him, like some of the things that I brought up, the house, and, um, I mean, I don't know what he's been doing since the murder, besides getting married. <laughs> right. Um, um, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I can speak to that a little bit. One thing that he's been doing is going on a public local crusade against um, basically juveniles who have been convicted of crimes, you know, supporting life without parole in in basically all instances is my impression. Hmm. I haven't um, really studied what is he saying, which is very unusual for a criminal defense attorney to be on a public bandwagon um, of that sort. Um, the other thing is once we started getting into the files that we had obtained from the appointed appellate attorney who had received them from the Office of the Public Defender, in terms of investigation and, and him and what he's doing, that's where we, you know, started finding the wealth of information about um, the financial problems that constructing this massive home were causing. Um, we were able to speak with an individual who had, had been the, the head contractor on the project um, who had quite a lot of information, including the fact that, yes, as you noted early on, Dr. Lieberman, that he had a so-called media plan and that the two of them had discussed how he was going to spend more time hanging around the courthouses in order to, you know, be willing commentator, for instance, the Michael Jackson trial um, that was in um, the Central Coast, um, I believe 2005, and so on and so forth. So in terms of investigation of him, um, we learned a lot about problems in the marriage from a variety of sources, some of whom had, you know, never met or spoken with each other, and everything was, you know, coming up consistently in that regard as to him. Um, he, as you mentioned, he is remarried. Our information, and as it's been reported in the media, is that he met his current wife, who is his third wife. Um, he had been married and divorced before marrying Ms. Vital, and um, they met right before um, the murder. Uh-huh. Yes, there are so many... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like um, if you saw this on a television show, you know, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it would seem like you would say, ah, that's too obvious. That would never happen. The H on the back and the met, meeting the woman, the next wife to be. I mean, some of this stuff is like uh, the stuff of a bad a B movie plot, you know. It's so exactly. obvious. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we even found evidence of, of physical violence. They had a violent relationship. Mm -hmm. and, none, and that was never brought up. Yes. Well, we do need to take another break. 
Um, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guests are attorneys Catherine Hallinan and Sarah Zalkin, and uh, Scott Delesky's mom, Esther Fielding. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking about Scott Dulesky, a teen serving life for murder. Is he Jack the Ripper or framed? Uh, clearly framed or at the very least, the evidence was not uh, looked at carefully enough. My guests are attorneys Catherine Hallinan and Sarah Zalkin, who have just filed a new petition in the State Court of Appeal to get the conviction of Scott overturned, and Scott's heartsick mom, Esther Fielding. Now, during the break, um, the two attorneys were talking about how they would like to mention some examples of um, some of the evidence that was totally ignored. So go ahead. Well, I think the, the one of the first things that alerted us to the fact that something had gone very awry in this case is the fact that this was a rage killing. Um, we have uh, hired a crime scene analyst, and he said, you know, this is not the type of murder that you see in a stranger killing. You know, this is not a, a burglary gone bad. This is someone who is very angry with Ms. Vital and, um, you know, beat her to death over an extended period of time. It was an extremely bloody crime scene. Um, And from that, we started looking at the crime scene evidence, and there is a great deal of evidence that indicates that the perpetrator was someone who was very comfortable and familiar with the home. Um, So we mentioned before, nothing was taken. Her purse was in plain view. It was not touched. Um, however, someone with bloody hands um, put an uh, empty cereal bowl by the side of the sink. Um, mm. Somebody with bloody hands put a mug into the, the kitchen sink, um, mm. and that mug was actually tested, and the saliva matched Daniel Horowitz. Um, huh. 
someone um, who was very bloody apparently took a shower. Um, And that's a very interesting fact because the prosecution alleged that although there was a great deal of blood found in the shower, um, the prosecution said that no one could have taken a shower um, because the bloody handprints on the side of the shower were not washed away. Um, And the defense attorney did not contest that fact. However, we found crime scene photos um, that were in the defense attorney's possession that directly contradicted what the prosecution um, had argued and showed that, in fact, a shower had been taken. Um, And one of the most critical facts in this case is that even if Scott had committed this crime, he would have had at most 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, um, to be in the house, and yet... Someone, you know, took the time to straighten up. Someone put neatly folded a pair of um, glasses and put it on the the television. Um, So there was a a lot of evidence that someone spent a great deal of time in the home doing things that you wouldn't expect someone, um, a stranger, to do, like cleaning up. And if I can going through legal papers. Well, no, yes, and, and the blood on the outs, on the exterior of the front door, which someone who's a stranger and decides to go on some violent, you know, gothic rampage, um, someone with blood on their hands was outside at one point, maybe had um, been, you know, pushed outside and then had apparently reentered the home based on um, some blood on the exterior, you know, deadbolt and doorknobs, so that was never addressed by the prosecution because there aren't any good answers for that pertaining to uh, Scott Dulesky. It, it's mm-hmm. more, a lot doesn't make sense. A whole lot doesn't make sense. Yeah, it looks sense. like Pamela, during the struggle, was able to lock the deadbolt and lock her the perpetrator outside, and then the perpetrator was able to use a key to re-enter the home. Sure. And they sure. couldn't link a key to Scott, so they dropped that evidence. Wow. <laughs> well, you and know, there's no reason a 16-year-old boy would be would be opening a, a, a box with legal papers in it and not take a 2.5 carat diamond ring that was there on her finger. It was not turned around. It was it was face up and obvious and in plain view. So it was not mm-hmm. a robbery. Yes, but they tried to t- say that it, that that's why he did it. Yeah, a robbery that, that nothing was taken except legal papers were were rifled through. Right. Huh. Well, um, what and about when no evidence that she tried to fight back? Um, the medical examiner that I hired has uh, looked at her the autopsy reports and the photographs and says that um, there are no offensive wounds, only defensive. It means she did not fight back. She did not fight her attacker. Which also makes it more likely that it was someone that she knew, like her, like her husband, as opposed to a, an intruder or a robber. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah, no foreign DNA no under her nails, reportedly. Mm-hmm. Right, there's no DNA um, found under her fingernails. Uh, that's that's something that Daniel Horowitz has tried to, a story that he has tried to tell in the press, but it is not true. It is also not true that she was stabbed to death. That happened after she died. 
she was hmm. already dead. She was dead by blunt trauma to the head, right? Exactly, yes. And he has said in the press that she was stabbed to death and that um, her organs were removed. And none of that has, if you read the autopsy, none of that is true. So okay. I, I don't know where those stories come from. Well, so now a lot was made of this goss, you know, the idea that sometimes Scott dressed, um, you know, in goss-type clothing, black, and he wore his hair long at times and so on. I mean, is that was that in this particular neighborhood, um, I mean, did that hold a lot of weight? It shouldn't have. It was never contested, but but he was already over that phase for about a year. Uh-huh. So that was um that was just strictly a story that that uh, the press oh, made a great deal of because it's sensational and and then they could also um they also talked about satanic rituals which was also just just enough to inflame the jury but never proven and nothing close to the facts. And the the parallels with the the issues of him being you know the the fact that he wore black and and the way that the uh, media and the prosecution used that um is very reminiscent of the West Memphis three case, which is a very famous um wrongful conviction um where three teenagers were accused of a horrible crime and were convicted, and they have just been exonerated. And yes. in, that, in that trial also they used the artwork, they used the fact that these teenagers wore black and maybe were a little bit outside of the mainstream in terms of their interests. Um, but in, as in that case and as in this case, the fact that a teenager wears black has no bearing on whether or not they could have committed a horrendous crime. Well, why don't you, we, we don't have very much time left, so why don't you tell people how they can actually see the papers, um, the petition that you, that you submitted to the court? Well, there's a, a website that um, we do not maintain it, but um, one of Scott's supporters does, and it's scottdaleski.org. On that website is a link to the petition and legal memorandum that we recently filed in the first district here in California. Okay, and that was Scott Dileski, D-Y-L-E-S-K-I dot org. Correct. Um, uh, perfect timing. Well, I needless to say, I wish you, well, first of all, Esther, I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this, but I'm sure you're a very um, powerful support to Scott, and I wish both of you well. And um, Catherine Hellinen and Sarah Zalkin, um, let's hope that uh, justice is served this second time around and that you get people to pay attention to things that they should have paid attention to in the first place. Thank you so so much. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Again, the website to go to for more information is Scott Dileski, D-Y-L-E-S-K-I dot org. Scott Dileski dot org.
Uh, thank you all for listening. You know, these are the kinds of things that we really all have to pay attention to. If one person is unjustly put behind bars for life without the possibility of parole, that could happen to uh, any of us. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 